0: Hello and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company's podcast. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Greenbook. Through their blog, leading market research directory, and other publications, Greenbook connects marketers and insights professionals with people. Information and ideas that generate better business results. So, whether you're looking for a focus group facility or just want to stay up to date with the ever evolving insights industry, Greenbook is the resource for you. Check out all they have to offer at greenbook.org. We love it. We know you'll love it. With me today is Chris Daly. And for those of you, who are online and selling stuff online and wondering about why nobody's coming to see you. You are gonna love this episode. So Chris and I got to know each other earlier this year. He's a digital marketing entrepreneur he has a real, real passion for helping businesses succeed online. And when you think about success online, and you have this huge uh, question mark over your head, never fear—we're going to cover it today. So, um, but he comes from a background of working in SEO and PPC. And you know, I know on our show we don't like using a lot of jargon, so um, it's like a fancy way of saying, Is, "Are people coming to see you?" <laughs> but Chris uh, turned his attention to the user experience. Of websites to see if he could actually influence traffic and convert. The actual people who were visiting better. And as we all know, in it's not just important that you get people to your site, but what are they doing when you get to the site? So we are just going to dive into an amazing conversation. Um, but he is uh, the head of conversion optimization agency called Daily Conversion. And believe it or not, he started it just in 2014. He had all kinds of other experience, but this particular venture started in 2014 and already with 140 employees. That's incredibly important. Impressive. So we're going to talk about uh, with him how businesses discover what actually converts best on their sites through testing. A-B testing, one of my favorite topics. So um, welcome, Chris, to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat.
0: Well, what did I miss about what's the interesting journey, entrepreneur journey, a couple of highlights from you about how you came in to just chuck it and say, I'm doing this on my own?
1: Yeah, well, um, like you mentioned, I started my I started my career trying to drive traffic to websites. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what you do with SEO and with PPC. You're trying to get people to your site, um, and so I spent a few years doing that. And ultimately, I I, uh, I ended up in a in a board meeting. I'm not on a board that I was on, but you know, reviewing what what kind of results I'd seen at a company I was working at. And we had, like, tripled our traffic in a six-month time frame, which is awesome and yeah. exciting, except that the deeper we looked into some of these numbers, we realized, well, we had tripled our traffic, but we hadn't tripled our sales. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to figure out, well, what, what happened? Why, why did that, you know, is this traffic crap? Is mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, whatever? Um, and, and no one at the company that I was at at the time could help me understand, like, why this traffic wasn't converting mm-hmm. um, you know is it a problem with the website design will the designers say no the site looks great is it a problem with is the site broken does the developers go no it's not broken it's working fine and that's really the only two questions I knew how to ask at the time and so um, that's when I when I discovered what I do now which is conversion rate optimization it was out of kind of necessity um, and now what I what I focus a lot of my time and attention on is not necessarily businesses that are not getting people to convert. Usually it's, hey, we're converting well, what can we do better? Um, you know, what opportunities are we missing that, you know, where we can gain increased efficiencies you know, convert more of our traffic than we are now, um, which is also a very fun puzzle to solve. Um, and so, yeah, like you mentioned, I started, I started my own agency back in 2014. What kind of led up to that? Um, you know, I had been running tests For companies, I I was working in-house for several years. And really what it came down to, I mean, you guys were talking on a previous podcast about bandwidth issues. And, you know, you mentioned you guys get hired a lot to manage uh, blogging because of bandwidth. And that's exactly what challenge I ran into on the website testing front. Um, You know, we were doing a lot of A-B tests. And we can talk a little bit more about what exactly that means. But um, we were running a lot of tests on on our website. Which took up a lot of design bandwidth, a lot of development bandwidth, and that was bandwidth that we just didn't really have. Right. And so I was trying to find an agency to, to um, supplement my bandwidth, and really just couldn't find a solution out there that was that was great. Like I couldn't find a good combination of expertise and price. Uh, and so I ultimately jumped ship. I gave myself six months and said, "I'll give myself six months, see if I can make this work. If not, I'll go back to a full time job." And uh, and ended up getting um, a speaking gig at a at a big marketing conference, and and things just took off. And so um, <laughs> I, I ran my my own company for about two and a half years, and then um, in 2016 I merged my company with uh, the, the company I'm at now, which is called Disruptive Advertising. And so um, it's been. The last four and a half, five years have been just a a wild, wild ride.
0: Well, I love that. So in that merge, and we, we do talk a little bit about really just the entrepreneurship before, you know, before we talk about some of the marketing, too. So tell us about that merge. And so now being at Disruptive Advertising, what did you gain as an entrepreneur by merging your idea and your people and everything else? And what, you know, what did you have to give up? What was that experience?
1: Yeah, it was a really difficult decision. I mean, as anybody who started a business or um you know even thought about you know potentially uh, uh merging companies, it's it's kind of a scary thing because you are um you know I, I talked to a lot of business mentors that I had And there's a lot of horror stories out there about merging businesses and things just crumbling or cultures uh, not merging well or, um, you know, you hating your your business partner or whatever. (laughs) And so I was very cautious about it. I actually met the owner of Disruptive Advertising um, almost right after I started my business. I met him at a a networking event, and we had discussed potentially merging uh, right at that point. But I was... Um, so fresh into starting my business that you know I just had um, you know googly eyes of right. <laughs> of all of the
0: potential
1: amazing I <laughs> things I was going to do to change the world and uh, so I I was not open for it at that time um, and so uh, after about you know a year and a half of running my business I started to encounter a bunch of different challenges. Um, there's a lot of challenges when especially when you're doing a service-based business like an agency. Um, it is it is largely driven by your time and you only have so much time in a day. And so the amount of things that I could accomplish in a day from like the administrative things of running a business to actually fulfilling on client work, to trying to market myself and and get new sales and new clients in the door. Um, it was just very difficult to balance that time and also try to like build a company. And, uh, and so at, at, at that point, that's when, uh, Jake Badsgar, the owner of Disruptive Advertising, and I kind of synced back up and I just said, hey, here's kind of where I'm at. Things are going amazing. We're growing really fast. And I'm really struggling um, with how to really, uh, you know, grow all of these different areas of the business, sales, marketing, mm-hmm. um, fulfillment, and then just the administrative stuff. And so he had figured out some things that I had not, um, especially in terms of sales, because I'm, I'm more of like a, you know, I'm a technical geek, and, uh, <laughs> and definitely not as as big of a sales guy. And so, um, you know, he he was uh, very experienced in sales, and his business was focused on PPC, which is like you know go- advertising on Google and Facebook. And I was focused on converting traffic, and so there was just a lot of synergy between our two businesses. Nice. And uh, and so, I mean, you know, like I said, it was a it was a very long decision, but ultimately. Um, I was able to focus on the areas that I'm most passionate about, um, which is developing great strategies for clients. Um, I love I love talking to clients and and talking through um, some of the marketing psychology, some of the things that we dig really deep into when we're, when we're running strategies uh, and then I love going out and, and speaking and evangelizing and talking about what, what I do because there's just not a lot of companies that do this and so um, I've been able to really focus on the areas that I'm passionate about, and then hand over more of the administ- administrative stuff uh, to more more qualified people. <laughs> oh, that's so cool.
0: I know I think about like my ideal day is only talking with clients. I mean, I love my people and I love, you know, I especially love like our leadership training and things like that. But, you know, I, at this point, I've done all those things. I've written the blogs, I've done the social media posts, I've done the, you know, hashtag strategy, all these things. I don't do any of those <laughs> things anymore. And Yesterday, I just had one of those days where, man, I'm just loving what I'm doing. I had, if you could put, line me up with pitch meetings nonstop and doing the proposals to get them out and then having that original like first strategy meeting with with the clients and the persona development, if that could be my whole life, <laughs> that and I'm like you with the speaking event. So um, where are you coming up um, speaking? Do you have a, a big uh, schedule this next year? So right now,
1: one I'm I'm really excited and geared up for is uh, Social Media Marketing World in March in San Diego. This will be my third year uh, speaking there, um, and I just love that conference. I met the owner of of uh, Social Media Examiner, Mike Stelzner, yeah, um, about close to four years ago. Um, pretty soon after starting my business. And he's been he's been a business mentor of mine. Actually, he heard me on a podcast. This kind of takes me back to why part of why I do podcasting um, is he heard me on a podcast and was really interested in what I did. And he reached out and it led to just this fantastic relationship where I've, I've helped him test on the social media examiner blog. I've helped him test on the social media marketing world website. We've seen a ton of success together. He's helped me, uh, you know, to improve my, my speaking and, you know, kind of mentored me through that. Um, and then, you know, ultimately he, he, uh, invited me out to the conference and it's just a great conference. Anybody that does any type of content, any type of, if you do any social media at all, which every company should be, um, there is so much value there. I mean, Mike puts a lot of thought and has a whole team that is dedicated to just making sure that they have the best content there. So none of the speakers that are there are like paying for a speaking position. It's all just finding the best expertise and the best, um, the best content. And, uh, and so, I'm really excited about that conference.
0: Yeah, they do have amazing, amazing, amazing content. That's for sure. I mean, these are people who are really very articulate about their expertise, too, because I find that sometimes you can find someone who's an expert in something, but they fail to be able to communicate just really the underlying, you know, uh, basics of it in a way that help you start thinking about your problem differently. Right. <laughs> and yep. Absolutely. I I really appreciate that about them. So let's talk a little bit about your day to day. So search engine optimization is what you did. Now this uh, conversion rate optimization. How is it different from what you were doing in search engine optimization and P- and PPC pay per click?
1: Sure. So um, you know, with with search engine optimization or with pay per click, either way, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, um, you're trying to find people that have a need, right? Uh, either have some kind of a need or you have some kind of a solution um, that, that will benefit their lives. And if, you know, if you're in a B2B space, you're trying to make their jobs easier. Or I mean, there's a variety of different things that you, that you might be doing. But what you're trying to do in that, in that case is you're trying to just get your stuff in front of people. Then once they click on, on your ad or if it's, if it's search engine optimization, once they search and find you on Google and then click on your thing, now they 've come to your website, and there are so many things that happen inside of people 's heads when they 're on a website. Um, in fact, Har- Harvard did a study on uh, on conversion decisions, so like when we make a purchase, for example ninety five percent of that decision that we make is subconscious, <laughs> meaning that most of the decision making factors are happening in our brain, and we 're not really even aware of of what's contributing to that so when I go and I ask somebody, um, why did you purchase from my site or why, how come you didn't purchase from my site, what they're going to give me is 5% of the real answer because that's all they're conscious of. That's all they're aware of. And so um, one of the challenges that a lot of businesses have is figuring out what exactly do people want when they come to my site? Um, you know, search engine optimization is all about being found, but once you're found, then you need to actually make sure that people can navigate their way through, that, they're, that they feel like it's a relevant and trustworthy experience, you know, and that you simplify it as much as you possibly can. And so conversion rate optimization is really about answering the question what do people want to see when they come to my site? Mm.
0: You would love the conferences I go to. Most of the conferences I speak at are market research conferences. And yep. so I was just at um, IIEX uh, Behavior. And, uh, you know, people, you know, from the you know, market research departments of uh, I was co-chairing. So I was introducing a lot of really amazing people. Um, and then I'll be speaking at the next couple of rounds of them. But, uh, you know, people from Pepsi and Curig and the head of design at, um, you know, Uh, cores and, you know, Miller cores and, you know, just all these interesting things, but. Um, I was co-chairing with this guy named Will Leach, who was just on my podcast. And so if you're interested in what Chris was just saying about this non-conscious thinking and how people are actually making decisions on the consumer level, and how it is 95% non-conscious decisions, even though they might use the next 5% to rationalize it as if they actually made a rational decision, (laughs) um, uh, that I I think you'd be really interested in going back and listening to that podcast. So if if, if that subject really, you know, struck a nerve, then... And definitely listen to that. And he also wrote this book called Marketing to Mind States. And it's such a great read. Um, it's just, again, like I said, someone who's truly an expert. And he did come from uh, PepsiCo um, and, you know, worked on a lot of projects like that. But it's such a great grasp of what's truly happening to the consumer. And this relates directly to what happens when they come to your website. How? What are the things that are coming up that are creating friction That even if someone, you know, in one part of their brain wanted to keep doing business with you, their non-conscious system can't. It, 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 you're already putting triggers and, and blocks there. So, talk to me about that day to day. That sounds really, you know, amazing, and it's, you know, it's what everybody's aspiring to. But Chris, when you come in and you're trying to, as you say, tackle a fun puzzle, <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have to say the problems that you're presented with are also very tricky puzzles. So, yes. How how do you start your day? What does that look like tackling a problem like this for a client?
1: Yeah, so I'll bring up a specific uh, specific story. So um, we had a client that came to us that had spent several hundred thousand dollars redesigning their site. Mm-hmm. So this was an e-commerce site; they sell products, and. They had spent a ton of money researching into their customer f- personas. In fact, you guys talked about buyer personas um, a little bit in uh, in a previous episode of your podcast. I was listening yep. to, yeah, we and do I love time. that. <laughs> yeah, right. And and that's a uh, and that's a major step that a lot of people miss. But you know, this company had spent a lot of money researching their buyer personas, understanding where their traffic was coming from, and had designed this website that they thought should really speak to their customers. So when I ask, a lot of times I'll ask. Businesses the question, like, why are you doing the things that you're doing now? So when, when you spent all this money and you built this new website, why did you build it the way that you did? And they said, well, here's some of the information that we know. We know that our, uh, We know that our demographic is largely coming from social media, so from Instagram and Facebook. And 90% of that traffic is mobile. So a lot of our people are coming to our site on mobile. They're coming from social media. Here's the demographic breakdown in terms of age and gender income, all these types of things. Here's all the stuff that we know about people that buy our products and which products are the most popular. So they took all that information and said, so we designed a website that looks and feels a lot like Instagram. You know, you come to our homepage, we've got a ton of products and you can scroll down and scroll and scroll and scroll. And you know, there's just tons of products, you know, it feels a lot like Instagram, very image rich. And, and, uh, and then I asked, okay, well, what happened when you launched this new site? And they said, well, nothing. Crickets. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And and, and now it didn't tank. They had another site that before that was performing very well. And when they launched their newer version of their site that they had spent a ton of money and time and research on, conversion rates didn't go up. They didn't go down. It just kind of stayed the same. So then they're left scratching their heads going, well, what happened? Like, did this new design, this new approach, did this not resonate? And part of the problem was... They didn't exactly know what their audience wanted. So when they're designing a new website, they didn't know, for example, how many products should we have on a page? So one of the first questions that we went and we, we tried to answer, and when when, I'm, when I start working with clients, all of our strategies are based on open-ended business questions, things that we want to learn about the audience. Um, so for example, uh, you know, one of the first questions we looked at is, okay, the homepage, you guys have a ton of products. You mentioned you designed it because they're coming from Instagram. You want them to just scroll and scroll. Let's figure out how many products do they want on the homepage. So we designed up eight different versions of their homepage with different numbers of products on them. So you know, if they had a hundred products on on their original homepage, we had a version that had eighty, and sixty, and forty, and twenty, and you know, and and just a, a lot of different varieties of. Numbers and combinations of products out of those eight different versions that we we launched, uh, six of them increased revenue and conversion rates wow and by by the time we got through the first two weeks of the test, they'd increased revenue by like twenty five thousand oh, dollars okay just from, just from removing products from the page and so so this goes back again to the business question we asked, how many products do they want on the page? It was very obvious. They want less than we have now. <laughs> they want a lot less because most of these variations are just removing products and those are the ones that are performing better. Okay.
0: I want to pause you right there because now the temptation is is what people come to me all the time. And I think you agree with this. So you're an expert. The moment you hang the shingle saying I'm an expert in certain things, they come to you and say, what's the right number? You know, what's the best practices? <laughs> and I try and explain to people all the time, it doesn't matter what, quote unquote, best practices are out there. Like just because now someone else has done this research and that is their magic number, which I'm glad you didn't even share that number. It's just less than because then the tendency is for everybody <laughs> to think that's the number. That's what I've got to do. But that's not your data. Yep. That's not in your product. That's not your ideal client buyer persona. That's not their experience. And every single pro- all of those variables are rushing in. And the only thing you do know is what people actually do on your site. What what are humans doing when they hit this site? Are, are you with me? I mean, are you so tired of of hearing having that question? Absolutely. In fact, um,
1: there there is a strong temptation to take data from one client and try to apply it to another. So I've actually and I've done this because in in my in, in my um, experience. There are best practices, but they are not like a catch all best practice. Right. There are best practice tests right. that you can run. So for example, if again, if you're an e-commerce company, there are tests that you can probably run that will usually generate an impact, but what's gonna be what's gonna work for you is gonna be totally different than what works even for your competitors. So I've taken the same test concept and ran the same test on two different competitors that supposedly had the same audience. Similar products, similar industry, and seeing completely different results. Because, like you said, your brand is unique. Your products are unique. Even if you're selling the exact same iPhone, there are so many factors that are coming into play: where you're marketing to them, when you're marketing mm-hmm. to them, um, you know your specific brand and the feel of your website, and um, you know the content that you've got on your website. Like even there, there's there's no way that you can um, that, that you can do exactly the same thing as your competitor and see the same result. And so I absolutely agree with you. There are not best practices. I There's not a best color for a button on your site. There's not an <laughs> optimal headline that you should put on your site, but there are certain things. And so what I've done is I've actually distilled down, um, the types of tests we run into six different categories. Mm. And those categories are the types of things that we see work, the types of tests that usually move the needle in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Some of those categories are like value propositions. Mm. So how you display your value propositions, how many value propositions you display, where you display them, those types of things usually will influence your audience But there's not a specific number of value propositions you should have. There's not a specific place that you should put them, but you should test those things. And so that's when when we start working with clients. That's, again, why we take a very question based based approach is because we're not trying to say um, we're not trying to say you should put three value propositions on your on your page and they should be up above the fold. We're saying how many should we have and where should we put them? Right. Right. because again, it's all about exploring and investigating into your audience and learning what they want from your website.
0: Yeah, I love that. I tell people all the time they ask me for, you know, and even in a pitch. I mean, I haven't even had a chance to really think through their business, and they're asking me at that point, you know, uh, you know what, you know, what does our consumer want? And I'm thinking, you know, I, I, as an expert in in several fields, I'm still not an expert in their business in any way, um, as close as they are an expert in what they do. What we do have going for us is we are very good at asking very strategic questions and right. finding out the truth. That I'm very good at. But just knowing it when you walk in a room is, is is just not possible. And so I love, I love the idea of A-B testing. Let's take a break from this awesome content and listen to something from our awesome sponsor. I need you to check your calendar right now. What are your plans on February 18th and 19th? If your answer wasn't IIEX Europe, here's why it needs to be. Hosted in beautiful Amsterdam, Greenbook's IIEX Europe is all about new ideas, new approaches, and new connections and market research and insights. Sounds amazing, right? It gets better. One of the most standout parts of IIEX is the focus on startups and how they are challenging the status quo in the market research space. The event hosts the Startup Track and Insight Innovation Competition, bringing new, cutting-edge companies and ideas to the stage. Join the brightest and boldest minds in market research, all under one roof. Attendees will be in great company with speakers from Heineken, IFF, Samsung, and Dannon. For the full lineup and registration details, visit the event site at iiex-eu.insightinnovation.org or just click the link in our show notes. Register with the promo code LITTLEBIRD and you'll save 20%. See you there. Okay, so we talked about some successes. You're saying that, you know, people experience uh, a, a very big uh, uptick in their conversion rate optimization, which is absolutely Bottom line, can you give me um, maybe a, a failure story in some ways, and maybe a you know cautionary tale of a uh, conversion rate? And and it can be one of two ways. Either hey, this is something I really thought you know would work, um, because sometimes we are surprised. Even the experts, and we're like, well, I think this will work, but then we actually go test for it and go, wow, well, I was proven wrong. Um, and to me, that's pretty comforting because I'd rather know that I tested for it, and I was proven wrong, and I know why now. <laughs> right. I'm like, good. I know that I should test for things. But were there some <laughs> was there something that kind of sticks out to you that really surprised you? Like, I thought we were going to be right about this, and it turns out we weren't
1: sure. there's there's a couple stories that come to mind. So one of them is very early on in my career, um when I had very first started uh, my company, daily conversion. um and and when I first started, Um, I, I, I thought my best value proposition, you know, this goes back to testing your own value propositions, but I thought that my best value proposition was, um, because I had experience in, in the industry, like I would just only try to run high impact tests. Um, this is something that I hear a lot from businesses when, when they'll tell me that they've done A-B testing, is they'll say, well, we only run a one or two high impact tests per month, um, and so that that was my approach early on. Was I'm just going to focus on things that I know, like a test that I know is going to be high impact. So I started working with a client. Our first month was fantastic. We had huge increases in conversion rates. This was in the lead generation space. Like their sales guys were just the phone was flying off the off the hook, and they almost couldn't even handle the leads that we were generating. Um, the second month. All of our tests failed, <laughs> all of them, and I was sitting there going, well, what happened like I thought that you know like you like you just said, I thought that these tests were almost guaranteed winners um, what happened and and actually, what I learned from from this particular failure led me to developing some of the processes that I have now, because what I realized is. I was just trying to do what I thought was best on the website. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do what I thought users would want. And I was not taking an open-minded testing approach of let's learn. Mm-hmm. Let's let's start from the ground and work our way up. Let's make sure that every test we run, we're learning something. So that even, like you said, even if we have a test that quote-unquote fails or that doesn't produce an increase in conversion rates – we still learned something, something. So our next test can be even better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a, that was a mistake I made in my career was, was thinking that, well, if I do enough research, if I gather enough data, like I can just have a guaranteed winner here, um, on every single test. And, and I learned again, that testing is not about having guaranteed wins. It's about learning what your audience wants from the site. And so it's kind of like playing hot or cold, mm-hmm. you know, you, you go hotter, 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 cold, cold, cold. Okay. <laughs> and you try to go the opposite <laughs> way. Um, and so uh, so that was a, a big kind of eye opening experience for me and one that helped me refine my own approach.
0: Yeah. What uh, about like a failure? Have you ever done something and you really get great results and there's a failure on the part of the client to implement it?
1: That was, is that that was a lot actually, of frustration. They, yeah, that was the second example. <laughs> oh, that I was cool. Thinking of. Very good. So <laughs> I had a client um, in the medical industry that was very, very particular about their brand. And branding is something that. Um, you know, I have a ton of experience with branding just because running my own company and, and you know being an executive over here at Disruptive. Like we talk a lot about what is our brand, you know what are what are our value propositions, what are our brand promises, all these types of things. Um, and so I understand the importance of brand. And yet I think that a lot of times a lot of companies um, go so far in the extreme of our brand that they're they're trying to say like everything that we do. Has to be like this. Mm. Um, so for this particular company, they had, you know, again, medical industry uh, lead generation. They had a landing page with a picture of their leadership team on it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to test, again, I wanted to figure out what should we have on this page? What should be on this page? So we tested some different images. Uh, we tested removing the image entirely. We tested some other different uh, variations. And it turns out that removing that photo increased conversion rates by about 20%, which is a huge win. Wow. Right. And <laughs> just by removing this photo. And then we took those results to the to the client and they said, nope, we're not removing that. We have to have a picture of the leadership team. Like that's just part of our brand. They need to know that they're working with these guys. And so we've got to keep it on there. Um and so again, part of the thing that was frustrating here is they are trying to cram their brand down the user's throat. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who we are, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and And so to me, brand is a combination of our value propositions and what people actually care about, mm. <laughs> right? I mean, I can have a lot of a lot of initiatives like maybe I really care about charitable causes. maybe I really want to contribute to um, you, you know to to specific charity uh, specific charity causes I want to make a real impact in the world and if my users don't really care about that, then I probably shouldn't put it on my site at least not on like my landing pages. Maybe I can have that in the about us page and if people if if that's touching to people, but my brand should be about. Who I want to be, and my website should be about what my users want to see, mm. and so hopefully there is some good middle ground where where brand and uh, and what the users want intersect. Um, but I. do see a lot of challenges when businesses want to just say nope we're putting this on the site whether people like it or not um i I just think that that's the wrong mentality to have about your website
0: oh well that is i know it's just painful you do all this work and it's frustrating and and it's it's interesting because it's their money so sometimes you walk away scratching your your head and just wondering really right (laughs) um (laughs) Well, you talked about A-B t- testing, and I did ask, um, you know, before we came on, uh, when, we, when we talked about uh, podcasting together, you said you had something, I, I asked for something free for my, my audience that would be of value to really understand, uh, well, how would I apply this? What, what You know, something that's a little bit more practical. So what'd you come up with?
1: Yeah, so um, I get people that ask me all the time, like, well, where should I start? If I want to start testing, I've never done it before. Uh, where should I start, you know, what tools should I use, what are the first few tests that I should run, that kind of stuff. Um, and so what I did is I put together um, a starter guide. Uh, it's an A-B testing starter guide that includes, um, you know, some of the top tools that I would suggest and how to use them, um, some of the first few tests that I would suggest running, um, you know, some case studies just to show kind of like some of the application of these principles. And, um, and so hopefully this will give people again like kind of a good jumping off point to start experimenting with with A B testing. And so um yeah, I would love for people to go and check that out at it's at disruptive advertising.com slash guide. Um and there is uh like I said, it's a, it's a free guide that you can download. There is a box on the page that you can check if you're interested in, you know, having us take a look at your website or give you some feedback. Um but if you just want the guide, then just don't check the box and we won't harass
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you said at the beginning, um, that, you know, that what people are coming in and looking to you for, they're looking for the expertise. Uh, you know, they're looking for uh, some some price because, as you said, the, the bandwidth issue, it's like it's got to be a done-for-you service because people can look at that guide and go, okay, now I have an idea of what he's talking about, but I still don't have the bandwidth to do it. Right. <laughs> but I do love that you are exposing, hey, this is what we do and this is what we're thinking. And I think that, you know, typically, you know, the business owner is going to look at that and go, yeah, okay, sounds good. Now I know what you do. (laughs) Please do it for me. But tell me about how you keep that transparency up. And I I know you guys, you know, I'm an agency owner. So I, you know, I, as you know, I get pitched every day you know, with people who are either Google partners or not, or you know, right. it doesn't matter. I mean, I get, I get the gambit. Um, so, how do you deal with transparency? Because the truth of the matter, and is, and I, and I think where you and I connected was that there is almost eighty percent of, uh, you know, budgets that are going online honestly are really wasted because yeah. they're they're not doing it correctly. Um, Or they do the ad correctly, but they bring it to the site. And like you said, and then nothing happens. So if they don't buy, then is that really a good use of the budget? No, it's not. But there are a lot of people out there who are not experts, but they're talking about this problem and then supposedly solving it, but they're not solving it. And it takes companies a good long time to vet, you know, uh, uh, these kinds of experts and figure out. Who really does know what they're talking about? So, how do you guys at Disruptive Advertising deal with that transparency that that is really needed in this industry?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. I love I love that one of our um, one of our core values at Disruptive is to have an abundance mentality or an abundance mindset. And to me, what an abundance mindset is, um, you know, if, if I was to just communicate that in my own words, it's. Somebody else's success does not mean my failure so if i if I give away like you like you just mentioned, if I give away all of my tips, all of my tactics, all of my suggestions and strategies, and then someone decides to just take that and do it on their own, um I know. That ultimately it will lead to everyone's good. Like there's there's a rising tide that lifts all ships, and so if somebody takes my tips and tactics and decides to go and do it on their own, that's great because part of my objective is to get more companies doing A/B testing. Um, you know, to to spread the message because ultimately that will lead to more um, more more clients for disruptive. Because uh, as people try it and as they start to see success and get excited and and expand from there, um, you know they'll typically come back to us and say, "Hey, we have been doing it on our own and we are seeing a ton of success, and we just can't run enough tests in a month. You know, we can't <laughs> scale this fast enough." Um, so part of what we do is we're we're very transparent in terms of here's what we would do. You know, even when we're when we're auditing a PPC account, um, before we even start working with a client, we'll give them all of our all of our initial strategy recommendations and say, this is what we change. Here's what we do. Here's all the things that, you know, here's all the things that we're going to fix on the account. And if people want to take that and try to do it on their own, then that's great. Um, but, um, you know, but ultimately, that's part of the transparency. And then and then once clients start working with us, I mean, this is a lot of people have a ton of fears about working with agencies because there are a lot of agencies that are not transparent at all in the sense that you send them, you know, you send them a check every month and maybe you'll get some kind of a report of what they're doing <laughs> or maybe not. And maybe, maybe what you're getting is like the tip of the iceberg. And it's like, okay, well, I think they're providing value. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. And so what we do is we have we have we'll usually have weekly update calls with our clients and we'll say here's all the things that we've been doing, here's all the here's all the current results. You know, when it's when we're talking about AB testing on a website, we're going to be saying, okay, here's all the tests that have been built, here's all the tests that are running, here's the current results and what we're finding, here's the next steps in terms of implementing winners and, you know, moving on to follow-up tests, that kind of stuff. And then We'll typically either do a monthly or a quarterly strategy review with clients to say, "Here's what's happened in the last month, the last quarter. Here's what we've done. Here's what we've accomplished. Here's what we're planning on doing in the next quarter. What do you guys think?" Um, and uh, you know, and and in that in that case, you know, we we view our client relationships as really as partnerships. Mm-hmm. You know, like we are, we really should be just an extension of of their team instead of it being like you know we're just this group of wizards over here that are doing who knows what and, um you know and hopefully we make some money off of it <laughs> <laughs> I love it so we, we try to be very very transparent in our in our communication and our ongoing strategies um, so that clients aren't ever wondering what's actually going on
0: right and I do think you know it's obvious that uh, we've connected on this abundance level too is that in some ways there's some pieces uh where we're competitors and really when you really understand it we're not <laughs> you know you have your expertise and understand what you're what you're doing what the bandwidth that you you can provide with, you know, 140 employees. And unfortunately, people aren't having this kind of a really open conversation. And because, you know, agencies who don't have that kind of open conversation with other agencies end up not serving their customers really fully. <laughs>
1: you know I completely agree.
0: Yeah, so there can only be so many things you can be an expert in and you know, you know when you have a client and you got to call in the big dogs on something. We get called in as the big dogs on, you know, our certain expertise and it you know, uh it, it's really enjoyable to talk very openly with other people that are in the, in the market really doing the work day in and day out. I I've, I've really enjoyed that, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we as we uh leave, kind of tell me one last thing about um kind of the ideal client for disruptive advertising because we've talked about people who are selling things on their website and you also mentioned uh you know, lead conversion and that's obviously the specialty that we're in. We 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 specialize in in you know a firm and sustainable system for lead generation and, and really putting an, a, a, an annual marketing plan out there so that you know what's going on online is actually connecting with what they need to do in their sales goals. So tell me a little bit about how it is different when you're trying to uh, con- do conversion rate optimization for an actual product, and is it different when you're doing conversion rate optimization for a for a lead generation?
1: Uh, you bet. It's absolutely different. In fact, um, we we recently <laughs> we had a bunch of conversations over here at Disruptive um, with uh, you know I, I had a bunch of conversations with my site testing teams, um, really making sure that we are that we're customizing the offering because uh, it is easy to think about them as the same thing. You know, uh, uh, increasing conversion rates for leads versus uh, for products. The main, one of the biggest differences is when you are when you're trying to get someone to buy a product, it's a very linear sales process, right? It's like you get them to the home page, move them to a category page, product page, checkout, you know, and then boom, they're done. So if you can increase conversion rates, awesome. That's just money in the bank, right? Like the more conversion rates go up, the more money you make. With lead generation, it's not a linear process. So I might increase conversion rates, but maybe it's cuz I put get free money from the government by filling out this form. And all of a sudden you're getting a bunch of crappy leads, right? And so one of the biggest challenges with lead generation, so what, what I love about what you just said and what, what you guys do is you guys are not just trying to convert someone. You're, you're trying to nurture those people and make sure that, um, that you're generating quality conversions. And so that's part of what we do is sometimes we run tests on lead generation websites that might decrease conversion rates. But it might increase lead quality, and so and and if that is, uh, you know, it you have to measure the trade off and say, hey, conversion rates decreased by fifteen percent, lead quality increased by fifteen percent. Is that trade off worth it? Mm -hmm. What's the net impact to the business? Um, And so it is, it is a little bit more tricky. Um, And and those puzzles, like like I was talking about it, those puzzles are sometimes the funnest to solve because (laughs) um, again, you're, you're talking about you know with with lead generation it's usually a sales process instead of a right. one and done type of a deal and so um yeah there's 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 a ton of differences there's a major difference in the way that we approach things and a difference in the types of tests that we'll run um for, for those particular clients.
0: I love it. I love it. And I'm always in the show trying to pull back the curtain a little bit, which is why I asked you to give a little freebie for uh, my audience. But we're always trying to deliver some extra value there. And as we pull that curtain back, you know, some people start talking about, you know, MQLs and SQLs when we're talking about lead, lead magnets or, um, you know, um, lead conversion. And so I like to pull that back for just a minute for those people who maybe not totally understanding that. But, you know, marketing qualified lead, an MQL, is very different from an SQL, a sales qualified lead. And this is what Chris is talking about, um, really understanding that, you know, quality lead generation is not about quantity lead generation. And the moment you're marketing to everybody, you're not marketing to your ideal client persona, period.
1: Right. <laughs> Really and of awesome. course the of course the the best of both worlds is increasing conversion rates and lead quality. Yes, and that exactly. does happen sometimes but it's not always in fact most of the time it is not that simple. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I love it. Well, you you yeah. and I could probably talk forever about uh, you know the difference between MQLs and SQLs and you know how how you know what what really works well on uh, lead magnets. And I'd love to have you back and talk about that a little bit. Any last thing I didn't it didn't ask you that you think is interesting about what you do or or what life is like over at Disruptive Advertising.
1: You know, just with the with the kind of growth that we've had in the last couple years, um, you know, when I when I first merged my business with disruptive two and a half years ago, we were at about thirty employees, and like you mentioned, we're up over about one hundred and forty now yeah, at this point. And <laughs> uh, and one of the things that one of the things that's just very exciting to me about that is um, one of the things that we talk about a lot over here is, as one of our one of our core values is. Um, Having is is improving people's lives through results based relationships, and so um, you know the I think the last thing that I'll that I'll just that I'll just leave you on is um, we we work really hard to generate awesome results. And to me, the best relationships, you know, the, the relationship that I have with Mike Stelzner, for example, over at Social Media Examiner, mm-hmm. um, that's been such a great relationship and such a long-lasting relationship because we have a great relationship foundation. We both trust each other. We both understand each other's expertise. And when we work together, when we put our heads together, we generate awesome results. And mm-hmm. so um, and, and so that's something that we strive for in all of our client relationships Is is not just to be like again these wizards that are over here generating cool results we want to like you just said pull back the curtain and say look like we're, we're people we're human beings and you, you know what we actually really like working together um <laughs> and so that that to me is like what really excites me in getting out of bed every morning is having those types of relationships um both with employees with clients um you know with people like yourself where you know we're, we're meeting we're, we're discussing some exciting things, and uh, and we're building a great relationship um, while all of the awesome results are happening in the background. So, um, yeah, that's uh, just something that that uh, that I wake up every morning looking for is how can I you know build or or nurture a meaningful relationship today.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, you got to reach out to Chris. It's uh, his Twitter handle is at Chris Daly, and it's C H R I S D A Y. L e y, But you got to go get that uh, guide. If this is of any interest to you, he's offered a free A-B testing guide, and you can get that at disruptiveadvertising.com forward slash guide. Did I get that right, Chris? Yep, you got it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we also here at Ponderings from the Perch would love for you to go and give us a great review on iTunes because that's how more people discover uh, this great content. And, And we're so indebted to the wonderful experts who are willing to come on and really provide so much value to our audience. And like Chris says, I can't really echo it, you know, enough, and that is, you know, we're a done-for-you agency, but there's a lot of people who listen because they want to do it for themselves. That's fine. We're we're sharing our expertise. The right people that are right for a Little Bird will come to Little Bird, and the right people that um, need disruptive advertising will come to disruptive advertising. It's about that abundance. And so take the freebies that we're offering, listen to the other podcasts. Um, Like uh, Chris mentioned just recently, Ashley and I did a really great podcast on to blog or not to blog And I think that was chock full of things that are very related to what we were talking about. And I'm glad that you referenced that, Chris. I I do see the connection.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. Well, from all of us here, all of the peeps at Little Bird Marketing, we'd like to say happy marketing.